0: I am Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 297. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. So good to see you today. And on today's show, we are going to answer a bunch of questions, including how would a U.S. citizen get a sunscreen from outside the U.S.? Recommendations on non-pilling vitamin C products. Why is a foundation considered a hazmat product? Is CurlSmith a less expensive version of Olaplex? And can you believe the claims of YouTube Derms telling you that sunscreen may be causing your hair loss?
1: wow no way
0: (laughs) it is amazing and we'll get to that one but first valerie how are you today
1: i'm doing great just here in my my new lab that i'm building out now that i am consulting and need a space to do formulation so it's just uh, in a little nook of my ingredient warehouse that i have and
0: so you got to get a you got to get mixing equipment and beakers and all that stuff
1: yeah, I have a lot of that stuff here. Uh, Mr. Cosmetic Chemist uh, wasn't too happy with me when a truck with two incubators showed up on pallets, oh. necessary for stability testing, sure, uh, sure, but nonetheless, he helped me unpack them. Uh, the space is, uh, you know, it's in an interesting neighborhood in LA. It's in a neighborhood where there's a lot of other manufacturers around. You can't even look without seeing an, another manufacturer, but... Uh, my neighbor doesn't make cosmetics. It's actually uh, Kevin Hart.
0: Kevin Hart, like the actor?
1: Yeah, yeah, he has a little space here. It's like a sound stage or recording studio or something like that. Huh. And they uh play lots of loud music or <laughs> someone does in the facility uh towards the side where my lab is and they're usually done by about 10:30 a.m., but today they're still going strong. Uh, oh so boy. Hopefully they turn that off soon cuz it it's very disruptive. I work in silence, so.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and we don't want it to bleed over onto the podcast.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and there's another interesting thing about the area I'm in. Uh, In addition to being a cosmetics manufacturing mecca, it's also a porn mecca. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) There is a studio (laughs) in my complex. They uh, left a couch by the curb, and at first I didn't even think of them. I was like, wow, this couch is really nice, and then I like went up to it, and I noticed that all the Leather from the center of the couch was kind of scuffed and missing. Oh. And I was like, What? Oh, oh, yeah, I'm not touching this couch. Who knows what's happened on it? It was a couch that like kind of folded down into a bed if you needed oh, it to. Oh,
0: okay. From wow. a
1: distance, it looked like it was in good condition though.
0: Well, it sounds like you have an exciting area where your company is going to be where you're building your billion dollar empire. That's yeah, that's that's lots of good.
1: action over here.
0: God, you got to love California. Well, I spent yesterday all day uh, at a trade show.
1: Yeah. Teamworks, right? Yeah. The
0: Midwest SEC had their uh, biannual trade show and got to see chemicals from all over the industry. Uh, honestly, the focus of what's going on in the beauty industry now is all about sustainability. That's you know, A couple of years ago, it was all green and natural, and now it's all sustainability.
1: Yeah. I remember when the raw material suppliers used to come. To meetings and say oh you know this comes from leftover blank or you know there's a sustainability program and honestly it was just kind of like i'm interested and i find that very compelling but you have to convince the marketing team that that's something interesting and compelling to choose and now not only is everyone doing it but marketing's uh, on the bandwagon so i'm I'm grateful for that and uh, it'll be very exciting for me to see what launches come up this year as well.
0: Yeah, I I do wonder how much of that sustainability is like sustainability washing. Yeah, you know,
1: I'm sure a lot of it. Yeah, I always say don't forget raw material suppliers have marketing departments too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I will say there was one presentation where the person started talking about clean beauty. And for some reason, I felt like clean beauty has jumped the shark a little bit. Yeah, it just felt a little dated. Am, am, I, am I jaded or something? Or is clean? No, beauty No, I thing?
1: actually saw an article the other day. And I'm trying to remember where I saw it. I thought, Oh, maybe I should save this for the show. But uh, basically, uh, people are saying, it's people in the industry, which I think are trying to drive this trend that like clean beauty is really going away. And it's yeah. like, some other kind of beauty thing where it's, it's not necessarily about clean, because because everyone's clean, right?
0: the problem with clean is that it's not a ownable marketing position like no yeah. well, once you everyone can say they're clean so then who's clean nobody's clean i mean yeah. or everybody's clean to the same level so
1: exactly yeah, yeah.
0: all right should we get into some uh, beauty science news
1: yeah let's do it
0: not a lot happening uh these days no. but uh remarkable yeah, well, you you did see something on uh, on our good friends over at Walmart.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we both saw this. So Walmart is going Prestige. Can you believe that, or is that just a catchy headline?
0: I I can't I can't really believe. I mean, I can believe <laughs> that they're trying to do this, but uh, it seems so strange.
1: Well, I'll tell you what's happening, and I actually was a little surprised to see this come to light, but then also not surprised. Uh, Walmart is teaming up with Space NK which is a beauty boutique uh, typically found in upscale stores like Bloomingdale's, Hmm. uh, you know, higher end type stuff, but they are collaborating with them to offer a curated assortment of uh, products and they're going to call it Beauty Space. Now, the part I was surprised about was the fact that Space NK, who in the United States has a very prestige positioning at high-end department stores, is going to
0: Honestly, partner. I've never really heard of them, so, oh, okay. so which, well, you're must, not which is probably it. shocking to everybody.
1: <laughs> you're not getting your Bloomies points. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, I was just surprised because, you know, in the U.S., Space & K carries higher-end brands in the prestige space. And then Walmart is, like, sort of the opposite, I guess yeah. you could say. It's, like, yeah. about as far away as you can get. Uh, but they're partnering together. So it's very, uh, very interesting. And... I think the not surprising part is that they're trying to keep keep up with Target, which is, I, I guess, one of their major competitors, right? Sure. Target has partnered with Ulta to create these higher-end beauty spaces within the store. So, interesting.
0: It's, yeah, no, it, and it makes sense for Target to do something like this. I'm not sure it makes sense for Walmart to do it. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Well, I think it's, uh, it's a good move for walmart to try to be seen as a little higher end in their offering and it's interesting for space nk to get the reach of that walmart has
0: yeah i guess that's the plan we'll see if anybody believes that walmart uh can do anything prestige
1: (laughs) we'll see if they pull it off
0: i know they're really good at squeezing their suppliers down to every (laughs) last penny (laughs) at least that was the case when uh uh, I worked for Alberto Culver, and uh, you know they got you to get that Vo Five shampoo down really, really cheap.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll keep our eye on the space. I think it opens up March fifteenth, uh, so I guess it's already, already happening.
0: Yeah, well, I, I guess we'll have to do a field trip to Walmart. Let's do some beauty questions.
1: We've got some good ones today.
0: Well, the first qu- first few questions come from one of our patrons. Wait, few. Yeah, well Alicia patron. Wow. Oh look a, at her a getting patron. a few in there. Yeah, no, she she has subscribed to uh, if you go to patreon.com slash the beauty brains and subscribe, you could get multiple questions answered on a single podcast. So Alicia says, Hey, thanks so much for teaching me. I just graduated from esthetician school in Cleveland, Ohio, and am waiting to take the state board so I can job hunt. I have learned at least as much from you guys as from esthetician school.
1: Very cool.
0: Yeah, I feel like school, especially chemistry and science stuff, is simplified so much as to be incorrect. And I learn way more depth and uh, correct information from cosmetic chemists on YouTube and you guys. Well, there you go. So anyway, her first question was... Do you have any idea which episode you are talking about that skin doesn't exactly have a pH, but something else? I, I forget what you called it and how it was explained. I've been trying to refresh my mind.
1: Oh, gosh, Perry, that was a long time ago, right?
0: It was a little bit ago, and I went through searching through the archives, as we, we keep here in uh, at Beauty Brain's headquarters, and I found on episode 224, we did a deep dive on that, but basically... Uh, pH refers to the concentration of hydrogen ions in a solution, and skin is a solid. It's it's not a solution, so technically it couldn't really have a pH.
1: Exactly, yeah. So when people are talking about pH of skin, what they're really talking about is the pH of the compounds that are sitting on the skin in what is called the acid mantle in skincare. It's talking about those compounds. If you were to dissolve them in water, that would have a pH, Right. Uh, but the skin itself actually can't have a pH. So head, head back on over to episode 224 and get the full story.
0: Yeah, and uh, you can listen to some of our wonderful banter from back then.
1: <laughs> Who knows what we were talking I about? Don't, I don't I know. I might listen. I oh, yeah.
0: Well, Alicia gets an, has another question, and this is more of a, a recommendation question. She says she's been struggling to find an effective vitamin C slash SPF combo for over a year. Tried Mm -hmm. many different brands and combinations of each and always has pilling no matter what. It's hard enough to find a vitamin C that's effective and not yellowish or orange, uh, but a broad-spectrum SPF without a cast. But no matter what, she sees pilling. So the Mm -hmm. question is, uh, I know you guys aren't big on specific product recommendations, but maybe types of ingredients or either to look for or avoid. So... What do you think, uh, Valerie, uh, an effective vitamin C product with an SPF combo?
1: Well, I rarely see them together, like vitamin C and SPF, which yeah. probably explains why Alicia is having to use two products and mix them together. But I, I think the challenge that Alicia is seeing, I see it all the time as well. The pilling is probably coming from something in the sunscreen or an interaction with something in the sunscreen and the vitamin C serum that you're using. With sunscreen, when you formulate it, you have to create an even film on the skin, and you typically use uh, film formers, film enhancers, things that help keep an even film. This is how SPF companies, or formulators, I should say, are able to get the SPF value to be high and consistent without having to overuse SPF actives. It's a way to keep the actives down. Um, If you have excellent film formation on the skin, it helps give even distribution and a good spf value sure oftentimes these film formers when you apply something else like another product with it these two films because i'm assuming the vitamin c product has something that's also creating a film on the skin or some sort of thickener to it uh, to create the serum these two things are interacting and it's causing uh, pilling because you have these two films sort of interacting together
0: yeah, they're, the the films essentially are trying to create a single film, but they they start to mix, and that sort of ruins each the each of the films, and so that's makes yeah.
1: A, or it's like the old, um, you know, when you go to the mall and, and the Dead Sea mask people are there, and they're like, "Oh, try my Dead Sea mask! Look at all this dead skin coming off, and it's tons yeah. of pilling on your skin." Right. Uh, it could be something as innocent as that, where maybe it's not. You know two film formers interacting but something in the sp uh excuse me something in the vitamin c is causing the film of the spf to be disrupted and it's looking like pilling so i think that's what's happening
0: yeah yeah so is there some vitamin c product and sunscreen combo that you like
1: I honestly would not look for a water-based vitamin C product because typically the water-based vitamin Cs are thickened, and they're thickened with hydroxyethylcellulose, hydroxypropylmethylcellulose. Xanthin gum is another another right. big one, or even these um, acrylate polymer thickeners can do some pilling as well, or even carbomer can. So I would actually look for an oil-based vitamin C product that has basically just oils in it and your spf should be pretty compatible with that. I don't really have any recommendations to make on that because I I make my own. I just take squalane and te- tetra- tetrahexyldecyl ascorbate and I mix them together and
0: um, And soon you too will be able to buy that when valeria launches her line. La- <laughs> no, it's actually no, just... <laughs> uh the
1: ingredients I already sell online. Oh, it's there simply you go. ingredients, not to plug my company again. Um, but, uh, I, I, do sell them there cause it's super easy to make, but I would look for like an oil, like a, a vitamin C oil, uh, that has a vitamin C ester in it. That's pretty shelf stable. And then, uh, you could put your sunscreen, um, under that or over that or, or whatever you want to do. If you, if your skin can tolerate oils, otherwise I would look to avoid vitamin C products with, uh, xanthan gum, hydroxyethylcellulose, and carbomer to start.
0: Great suggestions. Now, uh, she's got one more question here. All right. She says, do you know how one can go about accessing sunscreens from other countries, ones with different filters, and why won't the U.S. approve these newer filters? Thanks so much. I seriously can't give you guys enough credit. You guys are literally the best. Love from Cleveland.
1: Yeah, well, um, also, I forgot to mention, I'm also from Northeast Ohio. That's right, you're sort of near
0: Cleveland, right?
1: Yeah, Akron. yep. Um, Uh, But I fly into Cleveland, I guess, and my dad's from Cleveland. So anyway, uh, you know, this is a tough one because I know that you can get uh, sunscreen products from Asia. You can get those on Amazon. I know a lot of other people, um, you know, try eBay or... Um, korea Depart yes style there's a lot of um websites that you can try to look for rakuten is is another one that i've seen online that people people can get but uh, you basically just have to look it's it's really hit or miss on on where you can get them but the internet is the best place to do it you're not going to be able to buy them online and you probably aren't going to be able to buy them online from a company that's based in the u.s because they have to import the product and then they won't be able to import it because it's not compliant. So you really have to get it from a company overseas. Um, and and Amazon is the one I know that people have a lot of success with.
0: Yeah, it's it's a little tricky because these are technically drug products. And um, so the, the custom laws and shipping can be pricey. So you might not get a, a lot of companies that will send that.
1: Yeah, yeah, because if customs catches it, they'll... They're not going to give it to you. And especially if, you know, you're a big box retailer, even a boutique and you're shipping this stuff in, you might get one package in. You're not going to get two or three in. You just, you you won't because they'll catch it and then they'll say not compliant, not allowed in. It's interesting. A lot of people knock the FDA and U.S. cosmetics regulations saying they're so antiquated and unsafe, but I actually feel like we have a very stringent SPF filter evaluation process. And I think we're the strictest in that sense. I know we do need to update the sunscreen filters aloud. It's something the FDA is actually looking at. I was just on a webinar the other day, and they did promise that they are trying to prioritize some funds and and try to update everything. Yeah. No, that's,
0: it's just a slow process. Uh,
1: it's It's very slow, yeah. But they want to make sure that they're safe.
0: It's funny how people... Say that the you know U.S. regulations are, are unregulated, and here's a case where the U.S. is more strict in regulations than what the EU is doing or or other places in the world.
1: And people will just say, "Oh, they're antiquated," and it's right. like, "No, they're just you know, it's like you can't win."
0: Right. Um, yeah.
1: But hopefully they update it soon. Uh, that would be great as a as a user of sunscreens, you know, to get some really cool different options, but. Who knows when? They've been promising for years that they're looking at updating it.
0: Yeah, and if a company wants to get their own ingredient uh, approved, they would have to go through an NDA process uh, with the FDA. That costs a lot of money. That takes a lot of time. you got to do testing. But I think that Mexerol is, a, is an active ingredient uh, that had gone through an NDA process and so that's the newest one, but only one company can use that because, and, and only specific formulas. You can't If you change the formula, then you gotta go through the whole process again, so.
1: Yeah, what companies are using that sunscreen active?
0: La Roche Passe.
1: <laughs> All right, well, cool. So I guess uh, if you wanna check out one of the newest filters, you could check check that brand out and see, see what they have. Um, but hopefully we get some updates soon.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath. It's been a long, long time. I mean, they <laughs> yeah. first started the process in the 1970s, so it's been a while.
1: <laughs> Don't hold. Yeah.
0: Valerie, let's move on to an audio question.
1: Ooh.
0: Hi, Perry and Valerie. My name is Maria, and I'm from Australia. I have a question about a hazmat foundation. So I really like this foundation called the Shiseido Synchro Skin Self-Refreshing Foundation. And... I found that this item is considered a hazmat, so it has to ship by ground if ordered. Now, I'm used to nail polishes and hairsprays being considered hazmat, but why is this foundation considered a hazmat, as I think that is not usual for foundations? Is it an ingredient in there? I'm not too worried about using it. I just want to understand why it's considered a hazmat. Thank you very much, and I love your show. Thanks for that question, Maria. A uh, hazmat condition with a uh, a foundation that, that is a little strange because usually foundations are water based, and so there's less concern about it.
1: Well, it's it's not common, that's for sure. But there's a couple reasons that people, excuse me, there's a couple reasons that brands are required to ship something via hazmat, and that's I think obvious if the product is considered hazardous. Maria named a couple of the obvious ones: uh, hairsprays, which are t- traditionally aerosols. Anything in an aerosol can is a compressed gas, and can be very dangerous if something happens to yeah. the the product in transport. Nail polish has a high fl- flammability factor, and so again, in transport, uh, shippers need to be aware of it. But typically, other products are not usually labeled as hazardous. The important thing to know is I'm using the word in transport it doesn't mean the product is hazardous for your for your skin it's when it's being shipped the company shipping it needs to be aware of the chemical contents and how to treat the product so that you know nothing happens on their truck or their planes or anything like that right in cosmetics i found you know working for a large brand that when you use ingredients that have certain flashpoints to them and that makes the overall product have a certain flashpoint. It'll have to be classified as hazardous, even if it it's something like a styling serum or a conditioner. It's all about the flashpoint of the product. Uh, it's the temperature at which the product uh, auto ignites. And so right. yeah. I'm guessing because of the silicone content in this sunscreen, it has something to do with flashpoint. We have... Uh, lots of dimethicones, dimethicone cross polymers, cyclopentasiloxane, many yeah. more silicones present. And depending on the cenestoke of dimethicone they're using, it could have a really high flash point, and then make the product overall have a high flash point. Or maybe this brand's really conscious. I don't know, but that's my guess. Is that it's yeah. a flash point factor for yeah. transport being stuck in a hot, you know, shipping truck or airplane or something like that. They have to know how to transport it.
0: In looking at the ingredient list, there's nothing that is obviously that, oh, this, obviously you got to do this. But as you say, there's it could be any of those silicones and just all the formula altogether is what's causing it to have to be labeled as such when transporting.
1: Exactly. And if you have the safety data sheet, I actually have a really great blog article on how to read a safety data sheet on my website because I think for any chemist or any person working with ingredients or chemicals or products, it's important to know how to read one. If you can get a safety data sheet from the brand, they'll have the transportation restrictions listed in Section 14, which is a transport section on a global safety data sheet. And then any flammability will be listed in Section 9, which has the chemical properties of the product. And any other hazards will be listed uh, up front in Section 3.
0: I like how you call it the safety data sheet, because when I first started, we always call it the MSDS, the Material Safety Data Sheet. If it
1: makes you feel better, it was also called that when I started. Oh. <laughs> it only changed a few years ago. I think right. in 2016, we moved to a globally harmonized system.
0: Well, you know what always bothered me? People would say, can you give me that MSDS sheet? I'm like, that's uh, well, <laughs> the S and do do. So now yeah. people say, can you have the SDS sheet?
1: <laughs> can I have the SD sheet?
0: Oh, okay, there you go. That works. <laughs> Those Does acronyms. that please you, Perry? <laughs> <laughs> Our next question comes to us from Chenille. She says... Hi, Beauty Brands. I love the podcast and hope to become a fellow patron member soon. Oh, we hope you do too. <laughs> uh, your podcast is so helpful, and I love learning all about the science of cosmetic. That being said, I was hoping you could tell me about the product by the brand CurlSmith. It claims to be a dupe for Olaplex that can restore several bonds in the hair that can be broken off with various forms of damage. I've seen many curly hair influencers claiming it works just as well, I was hoping if you could tell me the science behind this product, and is it actually true, and that it does what it claims? Also, are there other products you think work just as well that might be cheaper? Thank you, and looking forward to listening.
1: Have you heard of CurlSmith, Perry?
0: I had not, after, not before this question, but uh, I've, I've yeah. heard of it now.
1: They came on my radar um, a year and a half or two years ago. It's always hard to tell with COVID what's actually happening sure. in, in some sort of time frame. And they're okay. You know, it wasn't horrific, not super memorable, but, you know, I think they were, you know, I would remember if they were bad, right?
0: <laughs> you would remember. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the price wise, I mean, they're reasonable. You know, well, are they reasonable? $12 for two ounces? Mm.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's I've, not crazy
0: I, unreasonable, but. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's up I there. feel like it's a little. You know, right. for a travel size, that's a little expensive. Eight ounces for 29 bucks. you know, I think that's on the the pricier side. Uh, I mean, compared you know, to
0: Olaplex, it's probably not.
1: It's probably pretty close. Yeah. You yeah. know, but if you're talking even salon professional for eight ounces, I think that's, you know, maybe a little bit right. But this isn't a salon professional brand. This is, you know, direct to consumer. But... Uh so what technology are they using? They are not using the same technology as Olaplex. So to call it an Olaplex, you know, dupe or, you know, uses the same bond building technology wouldn't be accurate, but they are using a bond building technology or an alleged bond building technology where it's maybe not necessarily bond building but it's strengthening which is what i really think bond builders do anyway Mm -hmm. and it's hydroxypropyl and hydroxypropyl ammonium gluconate uh, which is a sugar derived blend that helps strengthen hair from the inside and the raw material supplier has some evidence that there is a little bit of penetration into the hair and works to create additional hydrogen and ionic bonds within the hair structure which are really important bonds in hair whereas olaplex claims to work on disulfide bonds and they say it can help strengthen hair up to three times that of untreated hair
0: huh so you're saying the the radish root and the superfood blend aren't doing that much <laughs>
1: <laughs> well the radish roots like a preservative so i was kind of surprised that they listed that as you know, like an yeah. active in there.
0: Although, fortunately, um, that's not their only preservative. They do have phenoxyethanol and, uh, you know, other preservatives that actually work. But
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting-looking product. I would say maybe on a performance level. It could be similar to one of the Olaplex products, maybe number three, uh, which is a take-home mask. Um, yeah. You know, it has polyquetronium-37 in it, which is a wonderful conditioning agent for hair.
0: And our good friend, sterometal dimethylamine.
1: I like those two. Those are really <laughs> yeah. good ones. So yeah. I would say maybe from a performance perspective, you're going to get the detangling and the slippy feel in the shower when you're rinsing, rinsing it and a little post-shower conditioning from behind trimonium chloride. Um, and then you have a, what looks like to be a pretty high level, it's hard to tell, of this um, bond curl complex. That's what they call it, which is uh, the sugar-derived Um, strengtheners that I mentioned a couple minutes ago.
0: Yeah, at least they have more than that than their prickly pear extract.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say. I don't know of any dupes that are on the market, but...
0: Uh all we can say is it's it's a different technology. Uh, is it working the same? It looks like it's a decent conditioner, so your hair might be in good condition. whether that's rebuilding bonds, it's hard to hard I, I would guess not really, but you at know, least if not you disulfide use, bonds right exactly <laughs> yeah, certainly it's rebuilding hydrogen bonds and ionic bonds
1: which i think your hair does like every time it dries right because well i'll just go into the chemistry a little bit so basically disulfide bonds are covalent bonds they're the strongest bonds in the hair and you cannot break those bonds unless you expose them to oxidizing or reducing conditions through reactive chemistry on the hair just showering is and getting your hair wet and shampooing is not likely to break disulfide bonds
0: right however
1: when you get your hair wet two other bonds in your hair go away completely. And those are hydrogen bonds and these ionic bonds or electrostatic bonds in the hair. That is because they are weakly associated. They're not permanent. And when we talk about these ionic bonds, think about, they're also called salt bonds, salt bridges or salt bonds. And think about when you throw salt in water and it dissolves. When you put water on your hair, these bonds are temporarily going to dissociate from each other and then they'll form back together when the hair dries again. So not to knock this active, because I've actually looked at the active that they're talking about, and it's pretty good. And the company that developed it does a lot of fundamental research in hair. They have this scientist. I've, like, read all his papers because I'm a psycho. um, (laughs) You know, they do really good work. So I'm not saying it doesn't work in that way, but to play devil's advocate, I feel like when you shower those bonds kind of go away anyway yeah. and then they form again and
0: so there you go beep. you know what you would call a bond between babe ruth and marilyn monroe uh, uh what an, uh, iconic bond
1: <laughs> just, oh my god
0: I, I just made that up <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed for you right now oh i think i'm actually <laughs> blushing so uh anyway Chanel, i hope that helps you it curlsmith products are nice I'm sure the product really works. And if you're enjoying it, keep using it. I wish I had some more affordable options for you. I just don't at this time, but look for stearamidopropyl dimethylamine and polyquaternium 37, and you might get a similar rinse feel in the shower.
0: And I am of the opinion that a lot of the benefits that people think they're getting from bond builders, they can also get from good conditioners that don't have the bonding part in there, but they have the rest of the conditioning stuff.
1: Perry said it, not me.
0: (laughs) That's just of my opinion. All right. It looks like we got time for one more question. And this one comes from uh, Laura from Patreon.
1: Hi, Valerie, Perry, and Porch Kitty. I love your podcast, and I am a proud Patreon. I am also an avid YouTube watcher and follow a broad mix of content, including several beauty channels. Recently, I came across two videos that left me a bit unnerved and very curious for your thoughts on these topics the first concerns a possible link between a hair loss condition and sunscreen the second warning of toxicity a nail polish remover talc cosmetics permanent hair dye among a few other beauty items are any of these claims valid or is this plain old-fashioned fear-mongering thank you very much laura all right perry before you jump in i have to get out that soapbox for you to climb up on it
0: Absolutely. Well, Valerie, I I had I had never seen these videos before and I had the pleasure of going to both of them. Uh, but before I say anything about these videos, the first thing I want to tell you as a to make you a, a smarter beauty consumer of all, of all information, when whenever you see someone producing content, the first thing you should ask yourself is what are they selling? Now, not everyone is selling something and not everyone who's selling something is necessarily going to be dishonest. But, you know, it makes you a little more skeptical when somebody is providing you information with the intent to sell you something. So, for but, you know, with, with our podcast, we rely on donations through Patreon. And we do that specifically because we think that even taking money for ads kind of introduces a certain level of bias. That's why we don't really do sponsored content and all of the people who ask us to be on the show and interview their experts who's going to hawk some product, we, we generally say no to that. So, you know, even people who say they're giving their honest opinions and they believe what they're saying, not that I would say they're not they're not being honest they're just really influenced by the fact that they are you know given a product or they just enjoyed the product and how it makes them feel so we, we try to keep that out these two videos that you linked they aren't doing that at all so so i'm looking at these videos it's it's important to note that both the derm and the chiropractor are selling things uh, and so whenever i see people in Uh, A medical field or a pseudo medical (laughs) practice selling products you really just have to wonder how high quality of professionals are these people who have to make money shilling products you know could you just make money doing your dermatology or your chiropractic I guess
1: what if they were really believing in the brand like obsessed I really believe in this or is this more like no I need to retail some products because there are some things I'm like super passionate about,
0: right? I could can see that, but but then if you're very passionate about it, and then you also include a an affiliate link where if somebody buys oh. it through you, they make money. Um, yeah, that I can see that. that. All, you all the passion in the world, that sort of undercuts that if you're doing that. So so if if we brag on a product and talk about a product. Uh, I'm, not spe- I'm specifically not going to include an affiliate link in there, so at least there's no, you know, kickback that happens it, there. It, it you know?
1: insinuates bias, the point yeah. you talked about before. It,
0: exactly. All right. So I'm going to provide a link to these videos that were in there, but let's get to the, some of the specifics. The first video that you asked about was from a YouTuber who calls herself the budget dermatologist... Uh, she claims to be a board-certified dermatologist, and, you know, I have no reason to doubt that. She she probably is. It's easy enough for a dermatologist to start a YouTube channel, right?
1: Well, yeah, well, yeah not easy enough for them to be board-certified. That's right. a lot no. of work, and th- that's incredible but easy for anyone to start a YouTube channel.
0: Exactly. So I, yeah, yeah. she did She did all the work to become the dermatologist just so she could launch this YouTube channel. <laughs> probably not. <She> was <laughs> I hope probably, not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> now she gives a reasonable take on some things, um, but she does kind of tip her hand right up front because she says uh, she's going to give you sunscreen recommendations so you can avoid this harmful association between hair loss and sunscreen use. Huh? Yeah, watching it, the rest, she, she starts off and she says that, you know, a lot of consumers and some dermatologists are noticing uh, hair loss from sunscreens. And I'm like, oh, yeah, really? I mean, <laughs> that's, it's, it's, it seemed a little bit. And if you're watching the rest of it, she way overplays this concern. And and essentially, she blames the entire problem on nanoparticles from titanium dioxides in sunscreens. Uh uh, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean but she said that I've the,
1: never heard of this.
0: Uh, well, there yeah there's a whole video to watch I guess apparently. there's a
1: first for everything. <laughs> exactly. Maybe she's onto something. I don't know.
0: She does cite a few papers, and and they're small papers, they're not they're they're not conclusive evidence of of anything. They
1: weren't in Jama or Nature or New England no, no, Journal of Medicine or anything like that.
0: They were in legitimate sources. But the papers aren't saying, the, oh, the sunscreen caused this. It's just like some people had this condition, this uh, FFA condition, and they did a survey of, oh, did you use sunscreen? And more people who had FFA said they did use sunscreen. <laughs> it's just well, terrible data, right?
1: I mean, anyone could, I mean, you could just say, have you ever put lotion on your right. feet? And then yes. a bunch of people say, yeah, I put lotion on my feet. Oh, shoot. I, right. I mean, that's the same thing, right?
0: Same kind of thing. So it's really terrible, weak evidence to come to any kind of conclusion, or at least to come to the conclusions that she's she said. Because, uh, you know, essentially she goes from saying, ah, oh, there's like this association. It's not even like a causal association. It's like this relation between these two things. And she does admit, oh, that's this isn't great evidence. But then she goes on to say, you know, it's not great evidence, but you should avoid titanium dioxide. And she, you can kind of tell she has mm-hmm. a a bugaboo about nanoparticle-sized titanium dioxide. Uh, you know, you can get nanoparticle-sized zinc oxide, too, and she kind of ignores that. But the fear-mongering, is, it's pretty subtle, and she does downplay it a little bit. But, you know, to say that sunscreen is causing hair loss is, is real based on what she's presented. It's just—there's just not— good that's just not true so
1: yeah even if she put those little caveats in the video it seems like she's still leading people to this conclusion in some way and to me it's like if the evidence really wasn't there like why are you bringing it up
0: right 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 it's like, oh, there's a hint of it. And I say the reason she's bringing it up because she wants you to buy sunscreens that she recommends through her affiliate programs that she's linked in her YouTube channel. So
1: mm, Maybe. I mean, it's that, good clickbait, too. Sure. I, to- I totally get it, right?
0: Ab- absolutely. Okay. So that's her. So hers isn't terrible. Uh, she does a, 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 a decent job. She just overplays what she's recommending or, or what she's suggesting and it is does... Fall in the society of fear mongering, if you ask me. Now, the second video. The second video is just total BS, <laughs> fear mongering BS. Now, this is a guy who he goes by the handle, uh, I'd see how you feel about this. He goes by the handle Dr. Eric Berg DC.
1: I have no problem with that. It, it, it makes
0: you think <laughs> that he's a medical doctor, right? Like a dermatologist or, you know, a md Mm -hmm. or something but
1: does he actually disclose that he's a doctor of chiropractic he actually discloses dc in his title
0: he does have that yeah and then at At least he has that if he just
1: had dr eric berg i would be like okay he's probably a medical doctor it's like
0: dr laura schlesinger right who was not really a doctor but she got a phd so i mean you can call yourself that right i guess so and that's kind of the thing you know i think the way he presents it is he does like if like, I didn't know DC means chiropractor, right? I don't like, oh, it I says. I know because doctor.
1: I go right. and one of my former students, you know, went to chiropractic school. Right. Honestly, that's the only reason I know. If right. I didn't, I would think DC was like some British knighthood term or something, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> right. I just, it, it seems like, it, it feels like uh, he's kind of burying that and kind of wants some people to feel like he's an actual doctor but you know he's he has a degree in chiropractic and in my view that's not the same as being a dermatologist or you know a medical doctor
1: it's a different profession yeah right
0: and of course uh, he also sells products so <laughs> surprise surprise now for the video it, his video is like five products women should never use now for this video he pretty much just parrots the kind of fear mongering that you see in just any kind of reactionary blog. Uh, He claims that, well, if you're using a product with talc, then it's got asbestos in it. Like 20% of talc is asbestos.
1: No, not really. I mean, if you're using a cosmetic grade source of talc and the company is conducting due diligence on testing the raw materials, there's probably not asbestos in it.
0: Right. Exactly. So, you know, that's just fear. And then he goes into, well, if you put this talc on your body that's definitely getting into your body and kill and causing cancers <laughs> so then and you know his graphics and that so that's total fear Margaret. Then he talks about uh people if you're using formaldehyde in nail products or acetone in nail products that's going to get in your body and cause health problems and he he ends it with one that i thought you might find interesting he talks about uh people are using hair colors and Ugh,
1: what did he say about them
0: they they obviously hair colors contain carcinogens so you're <laughs> and, you
1: know. not allowed to use hair color and set cause cancer it's kind of not allowed
0: right well you know oh. eh, i don't i think uh, you know dr eric doesn't you know doesn't doesn't know about that rule i guess he's
1: he's not from our industry you know, know. Uh, he's just not and you know that's the problem when when people kind of go out of their lane a little bit You know, there are some science communicators online that actually talk about the problem with dermatologists all the time going out of their lane and talking about formulas. And it's like, yeah, it's not really how it works. Uh, It sounds like a little bit of that's going on.
0: Absolutely. And
1: how would he feel about us making a YouTube video on the back?
0: Right. And chiropractic.
1: (laughs) You know, he probably wouldn't like it.
0: Right. And we could probably do just as credible a job. Hello. (laughs) and you know, he ultimately he tells you which of his products that you should be using instead of these things. So there that to me this is kind of classic fear mongering. Is it's nothing to see here and I think what we really learned from watching these videos is that chiropractors should not be looked at for advice about toxicology.
1: Exactly. You gotta know who who you're your sources and where they're getting their information from, and what their expertise is. You know, where did they go to school? What do they work in? Have they ever worked in industry? Have they ever not worked in industry? I think it's really important to understand who's giving you the info and what they have to gain from giving it
0: to you. Yeah. And what so, are they selling? <laughs> exactly. Speaking of selling, it sounds like the end of the show.
1: Thanks again, everyone, for listening.
0: Hey, the Beauty Brains are on Patreon. You heard today we answered a bunch of Patreon questions. And if you want to support the show and keep us ad-free, go to patreon.com thebeautybrains and subscribe.
1: If you also can, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show and leave us a review. That's going to help other people find the ratings, hopefully the positive ones that you leave, and and sure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer
0: yeah and if you have a question you want your voice on the show just record it on your smartphone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com
1: don't forget follow us on our various social media accounts on instagram we're at the beauty brains 2018 on twitter we're at the beauty brains and we have a facebook and tiktok
0: account and we do and, and sometimes i speak up on reddit too <laughs> <laughs> sometimes yeah
1: well thanks again for listening everyone and remember be brainy about your beauty
0: thanks everyone (laughs) kittens